Hi everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. This week's episode is a special episode which is much longer than usual. I decided to make it a special episode because we had three large tech conferences this week. Microsoft's Build, Nutanix's .next, and Citrix's Synergy conferences. The latter of which I was lucky enough to attend in person. So while I'll go into some of the announcements from Microsoft Build and Nutanix.next, I'll likely go longer form on Citrix Synergy since it was a first-hand experience for me and I'll have more context to the announcements that were put out there this week. But let's start with Microsoft Build, which was in Seattle. As stated, I was not at Build, so I got this information secondhand from GeekWire. At the event, it was revealed that Microsoft and Amazon are joining forces in the Digital Assistant game, suggesting both Cortana and Alexa have their own unique strengths and can be paired together for the most complete solution. Microsoft have provided a form which you can use to sign up for all the latest updates related to their development efforts, and although it's in beta, it sounds like it's a very, very early beta. Personally, these assistants kind of creep me out. I unplugged my Alexa a long time ago when I discovered it was storing audio recordings of my commands, but I know I'm probably an exception rather than the rule. And frankly, the acceptance of these technologies seems inevitable, so skeptics like me will likely need to bow down to our digital assistant masters in the not-so-distant future. Also announced was a new app called the Your Phone app, which is designed to make workflows and integrations between your Windows 10 PCs and smartphones much more seamless. The app essentially opens a window into your smartphone from your PC, so when you're on your PC, you can grab photos, view messages, and get into all of your important data on your phone from that PC. I really like this, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who gets a million notifications a day. I wear a smartwatch that shows me most of my notifications, but then while working, I need to pull out my phone to respond to important ones. Now, it sounds like I'll be able to just pair with my phone, and I'll be able to respond to my notifications across my multiple monitors and my nice PC or workstation setup, rather than just constantly breaking my attention by pulling out and looking down at my phone. A couple of years ago, Citrix's keynote was very focused on IoT, our Internet of Things. This year, it was significantly less so. At Microsoft Build, however, Satya and Scott Guthrie brought some IoT game with several IoT-related announcements. In the interest of keeping it concise, they will be releasing something called Azure IoT Edge as an open-source project. Microsoft have formed partnerships with multiple IoT companies, so it will be interesting to follow the development as it progresses. I was a big fan of Citrix Octoblue and was saddened by the decision to shut it down. Octoblue has been made open-source too. It would be great if that template is followed and approved upon. Microsoft's Azure IoT seems to be gaining more and more traction and along with what NVIDIA are doing, it is among the most exciting things in our industry, in my opinion. Microsoft also made a $25 million commitment to investing in AI to help those with disabilities or accessibility challenges. Hopefully this funding through grants to universities, institutions, and developers results in advancements for those with special needs and disabilities. Also kinda in this space, Microsoft showcased some of their drone efforts 
and announced partnerships to further grow into the commercial drone space. So playing into IoT and these new emerging technologies. It was announced that later this year, developers of apps for the Microsoft platforms will be allowed to keep up to 95% of revenue for certain types of sales. The new fee structure only applies to consumer apps on PC, Windows Mixed Reality, Windows Phone, or Surface Hub. It seemed like there was a very mixed reaction to this on Twitter. It would be interesting to see if it's faux outrage against the big bad corporate Microsoft and developers will ju just jump on it to get a bigger piece of the pie anyway than they do from other vendors currently. Or if as suggested by the Twitter noise, this will not sway any more interest from developers to invest time in app development for these devices. I guess time will tell. A pretty cool announcement was the fact that Notepad now supports proper line editing formatting. That is a vital part of Linux coding. You know, sometimes it's the little things. A small one, but a good one. Microsoft are working on changing how Alt-Tab works on Windows 10. It appears we may soon be able to cycle through not only apps, but also browser tabs. So that's pretty cool. And to wrap this up, it looks like there were a few pretty good sessions by my buddy Steve Thomas and also from the MSIX team giving a glimpse into some of the work being put into helping you bring your apps forward. Having invested much of my time in, into AppV during my career, the most interesting news on this topic for me was a concise blog post by Sebastian Gerd stating, just to make clear, if you're using AppV now, your investment is safe and will carry on. Plus, with MSIX and using AppV, you are now ahead of the curve. So is that a suggestion that AppV will not be getting new features going forward and the new focus is MSIX? It remains very unclear what is going to happen with AppV. AppV 5.1 mainstream support is nearing an end. There have been many fixes, in fact 10 hotfixes, but no service pack to at least roll these up. I'm at least glad it appears we may be able to convert easily from AppV to MSIX in the future, as this week I spoke to some people who are not using AppV or any AppVerb product today in their environment, and are dealing with challenges which could be solved by packaging with AppV, CloudHouse, Numescent Cloud Paging, or another AppVerb product. If you fall into this category, it seems you are safe to continue with your AppV time investment for now but we may not see much future development for the product. Next up is Nutanix.next conference, which was held in New Orleans. Nutanix made some pretty major announcements. In fact, company-changing announcements in a way. Known for their hyper-converged infrastructure products, you may be surprised to hear they have now launched their first-ever software-as-a-service offering. That's right, they are getting into the software game and not just at the hypervisor level. This SaaS offering is called Beam. It provides a solution for organizations to monitor and manage their spending, security, and regulatory compliance across multiple cloud platforms. At Citrix Synergy this week, the COO of Google Cloud stressed the importance of avoiding vendor lock-in. So imagine that Google telling the audience to not just rely on Google Cloud Platform, but instead to consume from multiple cloud platforms. So this new SaaS offering from Nutanix plays right into that ideology. Beam is based on Nutanix's Minjar Botmetric service, which the company acquired in March. 
that is already managing more than $1 billion of cloud spending across AWS and Azure. Kudos to Nutanix for growing their portfolio. Also announced was Nutanix Flow, the company's new software-defined networking solution for multi-cloud environments. Noticing a trend here? Flow provides application-centric security to protect against internal and external threats that are undetected by traditional perimeter-oriented security products. In the announcement, it was stated, Flow provides native micro-segmentation services that govern traffic between individual applications to protect those apps against both internal and external threats. Damn that Hansel, security is so hot right now. It's interesting to see how past acquisitions may be brought into the product line going forward. Security was also a hot topic at Citrix Synergy this year. Credit to Storage Review for this next segment of the news. Dell EMC made a few announcements during the conference themselves. First, the Dell EMC XC940-24, which is now the first quad processor appliance for Nutanix environments, which can be configured up to 6 terabytes of memory. Yowza! It's specifically designed for memory-intensive databases, big data, and analytics or other resource-intensive apps. I bet that bad boy is pretty expensive. Also announced was the Dell EMC XC640-4i, which was marketed as the cost-effective hyper-converged infrastructure solution for non-mission critical apps in remote and branch offices, Internet of Things systems, and other edge computing environments. It sure doesn't sound as sexy, but is probably a lot more realistic for most of us. And like Crosby, Stills, and Ash and Young once said, love the one you're with. There's also a new lifecycle management, or LCM, which takes full advantage of PowerEdge technology and standards-based APIs to automatically inventory and update the BIOS and firmware for several components in an XC system. It supports both in-band and out-of-band communications, and with Dell EMC claiming a 70% increase in update speeds compared to manual methods, allowing customers to noticeably less disruption of existing cluster operations. For the Acropolis fans out there, they announced virtual network capabilities as well as a database provisioning and platform service called ERA. For more on Acropolis, I suggest you check out nextplatform.com. And as always, I will provide links to everything I mentioned in the episode on 5bytespodcast.com as well as in the YouTube description for this episode. Finally, on to Citrix Synergy, which I was fortunate enough to attend in person courtesy of Citrix through the CTP program. Thank you very much to Perrine and all involved in that program for making it possible. I've never been to Synergy before, or any big vendor event like this for that matter. I sat right in the fifth row with my fellow CTPs during the keynote, where CEO David Henshaw announced the Workspace app. During the keynote, David used a pretty good analogy to explain the workspace and its importance. He showed Apple TV, Roku, Slingbox, and Fire TV and explained how they each offer services which overlap, but may also be used by you for something different. So for example, you may access your own content through one of them, you may access your television shows through another, and you may access movies and other TV shows through another. He talked about what would be great is unifying and bringing all of those services together in one place. Well, Citrix Workspace app does this for your apps. 
You can deliver your SaaS applications, your published virtual applications, desktops, and file access in one place. With some extra sweetness thrown in there, such as secure browser capabilities, which can be used to access sites on a containerized Chromium browser, ensuring integrity and security, a secure mail app, share file app, and more. On Twitter, it seemed the Workspace app and the apps in general got the most attention. But for me, as somebody who's a big fan already of workspaces like VMware's Workspace ONE and Software 2's Apps Anywhere, what I really liked is the contextual delivery capabilities and seamless workflow between apps. So for example, that seamless workflow, as I just mentioned, was demoed and discussed during the keynote. And what I mean is, for example, when you're on your phone today in, say, Twitter, you're in the Twitter app. And you click a link to, I don't know, maybe a Skype for Business meeting. It then redirects and opens over in your Skype for Business app seamlessly. Or for example, as shown in the demo, if you're in your secure mail app and you have a long email thread going, which is just no good for communication purposes as an email. There's just too much back and forth. It's very frustrating. It just doesn't belong there. Well, Within the secure mail app, you can now convert that thread and open it as a group chat in Slack. It's so cool. There's also some other cool workflow demonstrations in there, and I suggest you check out the keynote. Uh, I'll provide a link to the keynote with this episode. Now, this is not me being a Citrix fanboy here, but if you're not excited by the workspace, I think you may not realize its importance. For me personally, I find that most workers in an organization who I deliver applications to use a handful of apps and have a pretty defined workflow. These people can be catered for with published applications, which is excellent because it means a one-to-many RDSH for their needs rather than a full virtual desktop, which is one-to-one. Many vendors are moving to web-based SaaS applications, similar to Office 365 and QuickBooks. Well, today, through Storefront, that becomes a bit of a disjointed experience. So I'll have BYOD users accessing Office 365 in one tab, and they'll have their storefront open in another tab to launch their other applications through. It's not a good experience, and it's not a great workflow. With Workspace, they can access their SaaS apps through the Workspace alongside their other published apps. And it's not going to kill my user density on those RDSH boxes or Synapse session hosts. Citrix already have a Linux VDA, so I can publish Linux desktops and possibly in the future Linux applications. I can publish my users a shared desktop for use if they need a full desktop experience at any point. Or possibly publish access to their physical workstation in the office through a remote PC or a full desktop through Zen Desktop, all through that same workspace. Now factor in the contextual delivery, which should be present in future according to Citrix. What if you have an app which works great as a web-based SaaS app on Windows, Mac, or a Chromebook running Chrome OS, but not so much on a small form factor like your smartphone running iOS or Android? Soon we should be able to ensure the best app for the job is launched so that phone users get the mobile app version of QuickBooks or Outlook or what have you. But when they go on to, say, their Windows PC in the office, when they launch Outlook, it might be the web-based Office 360 version of Outlook running in the browser or possibly the local client version of Outlook, whichever you decide yourself, but all delivered contextually for the best experience possible. 
Like I said, this is something Software 2 does today, and if you follow me on Twitter, you'll know how much I love their Apps Anywhere product, so I'm really amped for this in Citrix Workspace. During the keynote, also showcased was the search feature, which not only searches your apps, but also searches your files. And on top of all of this, you can leverage the power of Citrix Analytics to build behavior and risk profiles to detect anything like anomalies in your workforce's use of the Citrix workspace, building in safeguards. You may remember me covering the acquisition of Sedexis on a previous episode. Well, its use by Citrix was revealed just a little bit as they highlighted it as an internet-scale intelligent traffic management service. They didn't cover it in much detail here, and it's still pretty new in their arsenal, but this could have a big play for those with multinational environments or global environments to manage. I have to admit, at first, I was kind of like, what the hell is going on when Diane Bryant, the COO for Google Cloud, was on stage talking about Citrix and the Google Cloud platform. And then during the demo of Citrix Workspace, they switched seamlessly from a laptop running Windows to a Chromebook, showing consistency in experience as well as running your Windows app as published apps on the Chromebook. What confused me there was, during the keynote itself, there wasn't all that much mention of Microsoft other than speaking to one slide, mentioning for example that they'll have day one support for Server 2019 and enhanced RDMI support. It made me worry about the Microsoft Citrix relationship, but those worries were eased later when I saw that Scott Manchester, the group manager for RDS at Microsoft, was actually presenting and speaking to RDMI at the conference itself. RDMI seems to provide a modern RDS service, which will actually benefit the likes of Citrix and even probably VMware with their RDSH offering in the future. So I feel RDMI will really just be an enhancement and a complement, not necessarily a threat for Citrix in the future. But back to the seamless workflows. In the demo at the keynote, they clicked on a Photoshop image file found through the search in their files within the workspace. And when they did that, it opened inside the published version of Photoshop. And this was all running on the Chromebook running Chrome OS. Now, this kind of file type association to launch within that app is something which Nutanix has been able to do, but it's still a very welcome feature within this workspace. For anybody using ServiceNow like I do, you'll be able to automate some of your workflows between ServiceNow and Citrix, and even allow users to create service tickets from within the workspace app. And within that vein of automation and workflows, Christian Riley also demoed a new approval workflow within the workspace by first very coolly authenticating using facial recognition, and then getting David to send a PTO request, which as shown in the video demo that I included with this episode, sent an action into his queue, which he could then take action on and approve or reject the PTO request. And get this, after 25 plus years, Citrix is finally getting into the physical workstation game with announcements around their endpoint management offering. Details were a little sparse in this, but it sounds like there will be an SCCM coexistence and support for workspace hub devices like those from N Computing, Apple TV, Alexa for Business, and Chrome OS. In a separate session, it was also announced that Citrix's very popular workspace environment management product will be supported on physical workstations to those with platinum licensing. Personally, I really like the keynote. I've watched previous keynotes online. I've never attended in person, like I said. 
but I felt this was the first ever that contained features and announcements which not only interested me but are applicable and can be put into my environment very soon. And best of all, all of these announcements that were made during the keynote itself will be available in the product line within 90 days. So it's not just vaporware, this is something real and coming very soon. At the event, I had the pleasure of speaking at sessions with the incredible Ron Oglesby, who frankly made it seem effortless. We got into good discussion around using Citrix app layering for image management and how it can help you with your application portfolio today, help you simplify your image management in large organizations with many images, and possibly even various different hypervisors, brokers, and basically infrastructure and use across the org, and enable you to truly take what you create for your on-premises images today and bring them right up to the cloud today or now or even just possibly further down the road. In Pierre Magnemont's I know I butchered your last name, Pierre, sorry. But in his session on workspace environment management, he showcased what to me was the most straightforward of all the existing on-premises Citrix services transformations going to that cloud. It was really, really simple. There's very little effort required to get your current settings and setup into your cloud platform. Interestingly, it was announced that UPM is now considered as part of WEM and there will soon be an Office 365 container available to you with some of the challenges with roaming Office 365 such as search indexing addressed. This is something which FSLogix has been solving for quite some time but it's exciting to see Citrix also jumping into the fray on this. All in all, between all three conferences and their announcements, it's a really really exciting time to be working in the tech industry. And now for this episode's hot job. For this episode, I decided to be topical with some of the things discussed. So the job in question is a Google Cloud Infrastructure Architect role with Nudesic in Irvine, California. The key technology requirements include cloud infrastructure experience on AWS Azure, but GCP preferred, obviously. Uh, experience with security, ACLs, firewalls, networking and VPCs, concepts of public versus private. You'll be responsible for deploying highly available, scalable and secure cloud infrastructure with a focus on GCP using industry best practices. You'll also define and implement infrastructure migration methodologies and techniques to migrate workloads into GCP, design and develop automation to support continuous delivery and continuous integration process, and work closely with the development and operations teams to build and maintain CI-CD pipelines to support automated deployment of infrastructure. And by the way, for any young people out there, uh, Google are also looking for user experience design interns for the summer uh, also based in Irvine California and now for this episode's scripts tricks and tips so this one's kind of BS because I don't have anything to show for it it's just something that overwhelmed me uh, when I went to a session this week the great Jerry and Gibson Shane Kleinert and Dave Brett did a session on multi-site support so if you work in a environment with multiple data centers, be it active, passive, active, active, or active, active, pinned, you'll probably know the challenges 
in setting up, designing, and just maintaining that type of environment. In their session, they provided really, really great content on that with decision matrix on how to design and what the best approach is for your needs. I spoke to Dave after their session, and they will be following up by doing breakout sessions on all of the different infrastructure components within the Citrix stack. So for example, they're going to go into a full session on Citrix storefront across multiple sites. They'll do Citrix app layering across multiple sites. And they're also going to do possibly things like SQL for the Citrix environment across multiple sites. So I guess really I'm saying keep an eye out for content from Dave Brett, Jerry Gibson, and Shane Kleiner. And that's it for this episode. I'm sorry I broke my rule of uh, being concise, but I figured this would be a very special episode. I'll make an exception. I'll be back to being as concise as possible next week. Thanks for listening again.